0: been an awakening. Have you felt it? Light it up. <laughs>
1: Welcome to Unmistakably Star Wars, your source for a high-quality, informative, and entertaining look into the Star Wars galaxy. So strap yourself in, because here's where the fun begins. Greetings, my little tauntauns, and welcome to this episode of Unmistakably Star Wars. I'm your curator of content, Devin Clever. And joining me in secret, undisclosed locations throughout the galaxy, first and foremost on my screen, although, dear listener, you don't have a screen in front of you probably, to my upper right, the one and only Barb the Canadian. Also joining us on the pod tonight from the 618, the one and only Miss Regina Sanders. And not to be outdone, but so covert and in part of his black ops attire, refusing to be part of the video chat tonight the one and only Mr. Carl Hassler. We are in the midst of our Joseph Campbell exploration, talking about his literary work, The Hero with a Thousand Faces. And as I've mentioned on the last couple of episodes, one of the fascinating things for me anyway, when we started talking to some of our friends that are actual Star Wars authors out there, um, it's surprising how many of them actually have not read the works of Joseph Campbell, and in particular, the book that we're going through, The Hero with a thousand faces i find that utterly fascinating and perhaps it brings hope to my midlife crisis dream to one day be a star wars author barb uh let me just kind of toss us your way as we get started tonight um we, we've talked Um, not just on this podcast, but really I can remember even as a, a kid hearing about this guy named Joseph Campbell and his influence on Star Wars. Barb, do you find it rather fascinating that people that get paid to write Star Wars books have not read Joseph Campbell?
2: I actually do because I don't mean this as a slight to me or them or anything, but even I've read it. And there's so much mythology out there that's been written based on Joseph Campbell's hero's journey. And so many, mm. so much of that was applied to Star Wars by George Lucas that you would think that any writer that is going to write for Star Wars is going to start with the basis that George Lucas did. So it is kind of shocking that they haven't read it. Yeah. I, I would hope that Dave Filoni at least has read it because his stuff is phenomenal.
1: I can confirm that good friend of the pod, Dave, has in fact read... All of Joseph Campbell's um, works. In fact, he's also highlighted some things with the red pin and sent it back to Joseph Campbell before Joseph Campbell's untimely death.
2: Um, <laughs> I, well, exactly. I, I feel like Dave Filoni really captured some of the essence of what Joseph Campbell was writing about. So it would shock me that he hadn't read yeah, it. Yeah,
1: I, I agree. And what I find interesting is I think this, we get more Star Wars content The more that we can see whether the author is intentional about using Campbell's works or maybe it's by osmosis that so many of us are familiar with the Campbellian school of philosophy and mythology that we inherently pull and put these themes into our works, regardless of whether we know where they are actually attributed from. Barb, you also, you wrote a thesis on the hero's journey.
2: I did. It's been a long time since I wrote that I actually needed to refresh my memory on some of the things. And when I was reading Joseph Campbell over the weekend, getting ready for this, I'm like, Oh my gosh, I forgot how deep he goes. And some of his writing and explaining the mythology, I have to reread some of the sentences because he's so deep. And you really have to follow his thoughts. And and just the whole myth that he's talking about because it can get really complicated.
1: I agree. I agree it's very much in in some ways there there's parallel I think um to of course another writer that that when I think of the amount of words used to describe something and 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 the depth in which he goes as as he's pinning something is of course uh, Tolkien who wrote among other things the the Lord of the Rings series. Yeah. Well, listen, as we kick off, we're going to start talking uh, a little bit about the myth and the dream tonight, the myth and the dream. And our hope as we go through this journey of this series is, dear listener, that you will not only join us and maybe pick something up along the way, but feel free to grab a copy of this book. It's available, uh, of course, most likely at your local public library. You can probably find it uh, somewhere in PDF format on the interwebs. That's up to you and your own conscious whether you want to go that route or not but we encourage you to uh, follow along with us take some notes as you go maybe and uh, yeah let us know your thoughts of course as you journey through this yourself so let's talk a little bit about chapter one, myth and dream. Um, Carl, you were uh, super helpful this week in prepping for this show, and you, you put together kind of a, a summary of some of the notes with chapter one, myth and dream. So why don't you just as we push off the dock here, Carl, um, why don't you go ahead and, and just kind of give us a, a preview of, of what we can take a look at that we're going to expect in this chapter?
0: Well, the myths and dreams, I mean, I listened to the episode previous, and I I I want to tell you, you did a great job interviewing Chris, and I think Chris gave excellent answers, and you could tell that that's what he does for a living, and he really is into literature. So uh, Mm. I really enjoyed that episode. I, I definitely loved the answer he gave you as far as why myths were similar, and his was that we were all created by the same God, and for that reason, we are created in the same way with these different desires or yearnings or things that we want to know. Uh, but as far as if if somebody doesn't necessarily buy into that or they just want to stick to the Joseph Campbell text, you know, a lot of it was that myths seem very similar. And then the dream part comes in with, you know, the more modern psychotherapist to do dream analysis, uh, because dreams, sometimes dreams come and they look a lot like some of the things that we see in myths. a lot of the same symbolism, a lot of the same type of thing. So mm-hmm. those things come. And it seemed to me that basically Campbell was saying that the myths and our dreams come to help us deal with, and the quote they have is that it's deal with perceived dangers to the fabric of security into which we have built ourselves and our family. So either, the thing is we come Mm -hmm. into this world and regardless of what you believe or what it is, we come into this world as a blank slate. Okay, so um, in doing so, coming into this physical world, we have to learn how things Work And in myths and dreams, it's really how things work for the society as a whole to, to prosper, because that's how humans seem to uh, survive better as a group, as a social creatures. So with that being said, that um, a lot of times our initial uh, thoughts are really the opposite of how we need to live as far as to get along and to survive. Sometimes we probably have a lot of selfish thoughts and desires as children. We want not mind, mind, mind. But if we all thought that way then we'd be fighting everybody all the time and we wouldn't have uh you know a culture or a society to work together with that would maybe help us fend off other dangers from outside that so these myths help us realize what we should be working for uh as you know as we go through different stages of initiation and the first initiation that he talks about uh is that child separation of children from mothers you know we are in the womb for a long time and then we are uh, at the mother's breast for a long time we stay with our mother longer than any other animals as far as being neat to need the mother for protection and at some point we have to venture off and be separated from that and so that is the first of many initiations that we go through from childhood to adulthood so um, those are some of the things that dreams and myths help us to understand help us to deal with and give us the keys there's another phrase that he put in there is the keys that will open the whole realm of the desired and feared adventure of the discovery of the self. So it's fearful, but it's also necessary to find out these things.
1: I, I like that. And thank you for for setting up like you did, Carl. All right, Gina. So I want to kind of take what, what Carl says about separation from the mother. And I listen, I don't want to go down necessarily um, Freudian psychology here, but <laughs> let me give you a, kind of a list of names and outcomes of moms and star Wars. This is so appropriate since we're coming up on mother's day. Here we go. Uh, <laughs> Shmi first, she was a slave. Then she was killed. Padme died or killed. I guess we can argue the nuances of that. Um, Ray's mother killed. Brea Organa killed. Lyra Urso killed. Leia killed question mark. Uh, Mira Bridger, Ezra Bridger's mom, killed. Uh, Tislara Syndulla, Hera Cindula's mom, killed. Um, First off, Gina, when it comes to moms (laughs) in Star Wars, what's going on?
3: Uh, I have no idea. I think it's a question a lot of people and a lot of women ask themselves all the time. definitely makes you not want to be a mom in Star Wars. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's the
1: proverbial red shirts of Star Trek, right? I mean, we've got yes. oh, if you're a mom in Star Wars, you know what your fate's <laughs> going to be. Um, and you know, let me follow up a little bit. When we see this, and we kind of dovetail that into what Carl has laid the foundation for, and we really start to see we see that in each one of those cases that I listed, we we start to see those characters, um, with this this separation from their mothers, and and. Every situation there, th- those lives are impacted greatly by the demise of their mother. Um, so from your perspective as, as a viewer, as a Star Wars fan, what do you think that we are to, to understand from when we see this relationship between the mother and the offspring severed? What do you think that we should gather from that?
3: Um, Well, one of the things I really appreciated from when Carl was laying the foundation was this idea of she's this safety net, you know, this Mm -hmm. first nurturing place that you know. And when I see that something terrible or tragic has to happen to a mom um, in order for our main character, our hero, to eventually go on their journey, I see it as a we have to find some way to stop the comfortable so that mm. the uncomfortable of the adventure and the journey can start, and mm. unfortunately, that just ends up being a mom. Mm.
1: Wow! I say that part again about in order for the journey to 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 begin, we, we have to you use those terms comfortable and uncomfortable. Say that again, because I want to make sure I get that right.
3: Oh, okay. So I don't know if it's going to be exactly what I said, but <laughs> if you <laughs> if you see the mom as a safety, this comfortable space. In order for the uncomfortableness of the journey, where you learn something, where you grow, etc., in order for that uncomfortable um, to begin, you have to sever yourself from the comfortable.
1: Mm. Hey, Carl, let me bring it back to you. I mean, this mm-hmm. is something that we see it in so many areas within, within star Wars. And I, I listed a few there, but we really see th- this beginning of the journey toward We're not even toward the hero at this point, really. Right. We're just kind of journeying as an individual and we have this, this loss. And mm-hmm. so from, from your perspective, how, how do you think that that separation impacts the heroes that we've come to know on screen in books and comics, so forth? Mm
0: mm-hmm well and it's kind of piggybacking off what gina said too that you know there are quotes in there about the purpose and actual effect of these what he talks about these initiations is to conduct people across these difficult thresholds so like gina said get out of the comfortable and into the uncomfortable so um the transformation that a demand a change in the patterns not only of conscious but also of unconscious life and he also says that these are very usually radical severances Away from the attitudes, attachments, and life patterns of the stage behind uh, being left behind. So you think about, you know, Luke comes to mind for me, especially since um, that's the the first Star Wars I knew. That's the Star Wars that I had as a child, and and coincidentally, that's kind of a a, a moment in my life that I also I count as initiation to myself before. Uh, going to see Star Wars at age six, I was—I had been taken to movies by my parents, uh, taken to Disney movies. You know, I didn't really choose them; it was just kind of where we went. And and this was the first time that I was pushing my parents, "Hey, take me to this movie." Um, and as we get further on, we'll say, you know, it felt, yeah, as George Lucas says, it's aimed at kids, but it felt more grown up than the mm. fairy tales of the Disney movies that I had seen before. So I actually counted as an initiation and transition in my own life. Mm. but uh, as far as the heroes in star wars as you asked you know these these people aren't going to go off and do start the steps like well you know get into like crossing the threshold or the the invitation to adventure you know you think of luke and you know at the beginning of a new hope he wanted to leave he wanted to mm. go off and go to the academy he wanted these things the opportunity came and he said, no, I can't. I've got too much responsibility here. He still felt tied to uh, Uncle Owen and Aunt Veru. Um, it was only their tragic deaths that he finally said, you know what? I, nothing, I have nothing here anymore, and now I will go. Uh, mm. And that probably goes for a lot of the other heroes too, but Luke just comes to mind. You know, Ray, also very similar. She was invited to come with Han and decided not to, but she had to sort of get pulled into it by Kylo and then had that uh, conversation with him and then realized that she needed to be a part of this. So, you know, a lot of times the comfortableness, as Gina said, makes us not necessarily want to change how things are. And if we don't have a pull away from safety, then we may not feel the need to go on this adventure.
1: I, I think that right there's the crux, right? And I was doing a little bit of research on, Psychologists today and reading some journals about the loss of a parent, especially at a, at a young age. And, and one mm-hmm. of the things that psychologists and those in the world of, of the mental health environment um, will undoubtedly say is, you know, when we go through stressors in life, regardless of what the stressor is, it, it could be running late for work uh, or, or, or something fairly insignificant. And we have this chemical reaction and it releases this chemical called cortisol and the more, uh, the higher level of stress, the more cortisol is released. And that can have an adverse effect on the physiology of the human body. It could be something as drastic as, um, bringing on a cardiac arrest, a stroke, things like that. Uh, if it's happening time and time and time again, um, it has a number of other, um, outcomes as well, especially if this trauma happens at a a young age. In the case of some of our heroes within the star Wars galaxy, some of those heroes are very young when their mother meets um, her demise. Mm -hmm. Barb, let me bring this around to you. Just kind of understanding that um, this is, this is this complex issue of the human experience when it comes to Um, the physiological and and physical and, and psychological effects of losing someone close to you. But then also, as Carl says, that it's without that, perhaps this call to adventure or the inspiration to go beyond one's own comfort zone, maybe that doesn't exist. And so from your perspective, Barb, do you see this as the quintessential part of the hero's journey?
2: when we're looking at star wars and a lot you know a lot of the myths that we're looking at absolutely there has to be some defining moment that makes our hero want to leave what they know and go into the unknown mm. um and that's exactly you know it's this descending from what they know of who they are and who the what the world is around them and descending into something far greater than their own sphere of you know their world mm. it's and so in order to be able to do that there has to be some clear motivation you know i don't want to say that in in real life that there's that people who have not undergone this great tragedy aren't going to seek out adventure. You know, that's why I'm a little hesitant with that. But when we're talking about, you know, these myths and legends and these stories, it just, it makes more sense. Um, I was thinking a lot about Ezra as both you and Carl and Gina were talking and Ezra lost his parents tragically at a young age. Mm. And What from what we know, he also witnessed that, and his life became completely uncomfortable. And the only thing that he knew around him was what he could control, you know. By (laughs) I I mean, he was basically like a street rat in a way. Mm -hmm. Um, and but when he encountered (sighs) why am I drawing blanks? Sorry. Right. When he, <laughs> um, I want to say Caleb Doom.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Kanan.
2: Thank you. When he encountered, encountered Kanan and the ghost crew, it was then that he was able to realize that there was much more to the world that he was existing in, but the world that he existed in wasn't much because of the loss of his parents. Mm. And so he was m- much more able to just up and go and join this adventure and this journey with them, then he would have been had he still had his parents and that comfort. So I definitely think that these tra- tragedies are something that has to happen. My words. <laughs> mm.
1: I no, I think that's ultimately well said. And I think that that there's, there's truth there, right? That in order for it, perhaps doesn't need to be the death of a parent, but it, at least in terms of Campbell's writings and however many other yeah. mythologies and, and fairy tales out there. And, you know, you could take a, a greater look at even if, if we just stick within the intellectual property of Disney. I mean, we, we see this time and again, not just within Star Wars, but we also, of course, see it in, in various places throughout the MCU. We also see it Of course, Uh, let me just rattle off a couple that come to mind. We see it in Frozen. We see it in The Lion King. We see it in Bambi. Um, Mm -hmm. So many opportunities arise for this adventure or this calling because of great loss at the onset of of some characters' very early understanding of what the world looks like.
2: I think beyond Disney as well, I... I just can't help, maybe it's that I'm reading it again right now, but Harry Potter is a prime example Mm. of this. And even though he was too young to really witness the loss of his parents, his life had become so uncomfortable and he felt so alone and an outsider that the call to adventure for him was absolutely what he needed and wanted in his life. So there was no hesitation. You know, it was Mm. like finally there's, there's something in my life to drive for rather than just be a nobody in this house where nobody cares.
1: Mm. Well said, Carl, I want to throw this at you really quickly, because when, when you were saying, you know, you, you brought up Aunt Beru, which I should have completely had that on mm. my list of, of Star Wars moms in there. But I'm curious, do you think that if in episode four, if Owen dies, Brew lives, do you think Luke goes with Obi-Wan?
0: Hmm. I mean, I, that's a tough question. I mean, we see how it ended and we kind of look at the end and think he would have had to have gotten there by fate or destiny. But at the same time, I think he felt obligated enough to, to initially decline Obi-Wan's offer. And I think he would have felt doubly obligated had uncle Owen died and, and Beru had lived. Then he felt like she can't do this alone. Maybe she was going to need somebody to help her. And I think he probably wouldn't have gone.
1: Yeah, it it certainly brings into question, and obviously if if we're playing by Campbell's rules and ergo we're playing by Lucas's rules, obviously Mm. those characters needed to to meet their demise in order for Luke to be freed of his obligations on on Tatooine. Uh, You know, Regina, it's it's interesting that, you know, Barb and Carl and myself— all kind of became um, obsessed with Star Wars at, at a much younger age than you were when you really started to take on Star Wars for for yourself and your own fandom. It, what are your thoughts on this? In so much as it relates to your own understanding of the trilogy, uh, one of the things that Carl had written in the notes was, you know, do we sometimes does our, does our love for Star Wars is it derived because so many of us saw it in our youth at this time where we were just starting to have our own understanding of the world?
3: Um. Well, so I, m- me getting into Star Wars happened my first year uh, away to college. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I was also at my own turning point in the world where I, w- I left my parents and I went six hours away to a university and I was figuring out what life looked like on my own and what did it mean to be, you know, Regina, the adult in charge of certain things. Um, And so in a way, it almost felt like I was also having my own um, call to adventure in this moment. And I think that that was very defining for me because I could very much see myself in the character. So even though I didn't get into Star Wars when I was little, Mm. it still happened at a pivotal time in my life.
1: I love that. And henceforth, your introduction shall be joining us from the 618 Regina the Adult. <laughs> <laughs> and no one's happier about that than Barb the Canadian. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. Uh well, Regina, let me stick with you a, a little bit. So, comparing your own call to adventure, your own journey, where do you actually see this kind of play out thinking back to that time when you moved 6 hours away and Obviously it wasn't a physical death, but there there was in some sense, as you became an adult, there was a, a death of the the younger um girl Regina into the the young woman Regina.
3: Um so okay, so just to make sure I understand your question right, like how do I see not that I'm gonna call myself a hero here, but like my own hero's journey? Is that what you mean? Or yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um Wow, that's actually very, very interesting. So, I mean, I actually I actually don't know. Okay, so here's where I say that um, in, in response to one of your early questions, I found out about the Hero's Journey my second year of college. And so I essentially went my whole life without knowing what the Hero's Journey was. Um, but I knew of it because it's in so many things. And so that's why I think this is, essentially very cool because it gives a, a name to a face um and so when i think about my own you have your call to adventure my parents told me you know i have to go to college um <laughs> and essentially mm. you know not kicking me out the house but you know kicking me out the house um but i i don't know for a lot of other people i think it would be this really really big journey because you're learning to become an adult but for me i don't think it was i think i had a very yeah, I don't. I don't really think it was that adventurous, or really that big of a thing. I know people are listening and probably saying that's absolutely not true, but I guess <laughs> I can't see my own. Maybe would be mm-hmm. my answer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, no. Can I, I, think I uh, maybe can, can I maybe just sort part? of
0: rephrase that a little bit? So, a uh, part of this also is not just having a personal hero's journey, but you know, the the as far as Campbell is saying, the purpose of these myths is to direct us into the uh, to a direction that helps us know how to navigate these changes in our own life that we're not necessarily heroes, but we see a fantastical figure do something amazing that changes the whole world. And then that helps us know how to fit into a new stage in our life on a normal, uh, just individual level. So did maybe coming into star wars at a time when you were going through a transition it maybe didn't make you feel like a hero but did you see things in in the star wars that you were clinging to or or were watching consuming at the time did, that, did you see things that may have helped you help you just transition into a normal mundane part of life uh moving from uh living with your parents to being on your own in school and the second part of that is if that if there was some Star Wars that we were watching while that was going on, did that end up sort of being kind of your favorite Star Wars too? Did you sort of look at that and, and identify with it more at that time? So that one sort of sealed closer to your heart than maybe others that you watched that later when you weren't necessarily going through a transition.
3: Okay. Most definitely. Um, so uh, without getting into like too much detail, you know, me going off to college for the first time, I very much did not understand how the culture worked. Um, I hmm. thought that I could cling on to my high school life and my previous life because I'm still, you know, pretty good friends with my high school friends, um, even today uh, in grad school. Um, and so I thought I don't need anything here at college. Um, and so the first part. Um... So I'm going to say the journey, the journey it really started in October uh, when I got to know other people. And that's actually also when I started watching Star Wars for the first time. And I would say that I see the thing that meant the most to me was mostly in the prequels. Um, And I would say it's Anakin, you know, leaving his mom, leaving this only place he's ever known and knowing that he wants to be a Jedi and knowing that he wants to do all these things, but also worrying very much if he's ever going to see his mother again. And that's very Mm -hmm. much something that I would identify with, you know wanting to see my friends, but also wanting to have this grand adventure that everyone says happens in college. Um And then obviously, being in college, sticking with it, just as Anakin goes, and he goes off to be a Jedi, and he goes through all this training. Um And then experiencing the hardships that come with learning how to be an adult, learning how to be on your own, making friends, etc, in a place that's very, very foreign to you. Um, and then... As I'm navigating all this, the sequel trilogy comes out and we get The Force Awakens. And I still see myself very much in the prequels, even though the sequel trilogy becomes my trilogy that I know very well because it was new mm-hmm. as I was new to my own fandom. Um, yeah. But I also very much see myself in Ray and this idea that I still have my parents and they're still together and they still very much help and support. So not that way. But waiting for this something else that I cannot define and I cannot describe because college isn't how I thought it was going to be. And it's much more difficult in knowing that there's something else, but not quite sure how to articulate what that is.
1: Hmm. Well said. And Carl, thank you for the redirect on that. I I think that that's one of the things that, you know, when I come across... Uh, one of the three people on the planet today that actually haven't seen a star Wars film, Um <laughs> w- which is amazing. All three of them uh, are, are at my work, but um, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm always fascinated. Not that, that they're not star Wars fans or things like that, but they've actually never seen anything star Wars related. And I'm fascinated by that because th- this is our modern day myth. This, this is the equivalent of Zeus and Apollo Apollo, or Odin or or whatever ancient mythology that you want to talk about. And it's fascinating to me that there are people that for whatever reason, either haven't seen it or refuse to see it because they want to be counterculture. um, They haven't partaken in, in the modern mythology. I think there's also folks out there for whatever reason, whether they have or have not seen it, who only see it as an entertainment uh, vehicle, whether it's film or book or whatever else. And they actually miss all the glorious, rich mythological themes that are just interwoven into this beautiful tapestry. Barb, I'm curious, and I want to kind of just carry on with what Carl was asking Gina, but I'm curious from your perspective, when you look at we'll just take the films but if certainly in your answer if you want to go beyond that that that's more than fine but w- when you look at the films was was there a time in your life where you were you identified more readily with what we now know or label as the hero's journey uh, let me just give you an example like for me when i saw empire in in 1980 you know luke's refusal to finish his training and go help his friends like that made such Um, a a permanent impression on me that uh, that very much played into my own narrative well beyond the, the the playground playing star Wars during recess, but was, was literally infused into my own personal life philosophy.
2: Yeah. I mean, as a kid, you know, the original trilogy had a huge part of that and specifically Empire Strikes Back. For the longest time, that was the only one that we owned. So it was the only one I could watch whenever I wanted and I watched it all the time. And Luke was definitely, as a kid, Luke was my favorite in Empire Strikes Back. And the struggle that he goes through from the decisions that he makes that he thinks are right, such as going into the cave uh, Mm. with his weapons and trying to understand what that meant. You know, even for me as a young kid, I didn't fully understand that. I hadn't, I didn't read Joseph Campbell's hero with a thousand faces, understand his journey when I was, you know, seven, eight years old. But, but that moment of him fighting Vader and then seeing himself in Vader's mask, it was very impactful to me even though i didn't understand it fully i just i just knew that what he did was not right according to yoda and the jedi way but it didn't stop him from making the decision to follow his friends to save them mm. and everything that takes place after that i i used to just play it out you know when he'd decide to fall instead of join his father, you know, and just everything about that. And then he'd be hanging under cloud city and have this force connection. I used to think that I had some kind of force connection with my brother. I mm-hmm. could just whisper and he would hear me <laughs> like, these are wow. all the kid. These are all the kid things, you know, I'd run Wait, through them this- calling on the other line right now. Let me put pick- No, I'm just kidding. But but like I'd be running through the snow, you know, I lived in Canada and I would, mm. I would pretend that I was Luke collapsing as I'm mm. trying to get away. So that's as a kid, how I related to him and that hero. It wasn't till I was older and star Wars really became my own thing that I really started to see more of the underlying theme that was coming out of star Wars and really absolutely love it. And I I don't know if other people have had this experience where they've, they've seen movies as a kid and they absolutely love it. But then as they watch it more and more, as they mature, they start to catch more of the nuances and more subtleties that you just can't catch when you're young. Mm -hmm. And that's what star Wars, star Wars was for me. It's just seeing this transformation happen in the original trilogy alone because i was 21 when the prequels came out so it was it was always this transformation of the original trilogy and seeing these heroes um change for me and so as a teen i loved han solo more mm. than and and just how ruthless he was and just his swagger just, it was like, Oh, I, I want to be cool like that. I want to be impulsive like Han Solo. And, and as that changes, you know, Star Wars kept coming out with new ways to buy the trilogy and I would buy every single one of them. And it's almost like it mirrored my own journey of understanding Star Wars. You know, I had the very original um, with just the space background and the original art. And then I had, the THX before the special edition came out. And then the special edition came out in theaters. And it just, it's, it's funny to think that that mirrors my own journey with star Wars and how I identified with different characters throughout my life.
1: Mm. Well said. And, you know, Carl, one of the things as we continue down through this chapter, kind of fleshing some more of that out and we're finding that, you know, as we talked about the top of the show, Campbell, um, (laughs) he doesn't waste words in the sense that he will go to, to great extent to really be, I'll just use the term deep with his thoughts Mm -hmm. to a point where it's, it's really not something if you want to have a a holistic understanding of Campbellian theology, we'll call it. Um, Mm. it's, It's something that needs to really be meditated on, reflected on, and and really trying to see. Barb, you mentioned the word nuances, and I think that that's one of the things that is ever present in Campbell's understanding of mythology as a whole. Sorry, I had to grab some water there. (laughs) (laughs) Carl let me kind of throw this back to you you know one of the things that's actually highlighted uh, in the notes here and and that is this is so great with it here's the quote in the united states we're we're, we're talking about how um, it always has been the prime function of mythology um, and and right to supply the symbols that carry the human spirit forward in counteraction to those other constant human fantasies that tend to tie it back. And it goes on and this is what you've highlighted in the United States. There's even a pathos of inverted emphasis. This is so spot on. It's ridiculous. The goal is to not grow old, but to remain young and not to mature away from the mother but to cleave to her and then there's some other examples thrown in there um I, I will even throw in another example and that is we are here in the in the 21st century especially in the united states we no longer have a a rite of passage that so many other cultures around the world even even today have from this passage of of boyhood in, into manhood and and of course we can look for uh the, the Jewish faith and and to go into a, a bat mitzvah or a bar mitzvah. And, and that's that passage into manhood, womanhood. Um, but for non-spiritual, non-religious persons, a rite of passage, we really don't have that in the United States. Do you think Carl, that that's something that we are sorely missing here and now?
0: Mm. Yeah. I mean, I agree. It's, it's spot on. Uh, it even sort of stung me a little bit to think, okay, which way am I going with this stuff? Because, mm. you know, you talked about the other examples he gave of, of trying to stay young instead of growing old. And the last one was, uh, you know, and this is written in the forties. So, you know, or maybe he wrote it even in the thirties, but it's talking about, uh, one way to do it would be in our popular vanilla frosted temples of the venereal goddess under the makeup of the latest heroes of the screen. Mm. And so, um, and I love Star Wars. I love the Marvel movies, I like the DC movies. Am I going to these movies as a fantasy to escape and to stay young? Or am I using these, um, as you as you talked about earlier, seeing the nuances in it, seeing the the heroic activities, the decisions the individuals have to make? And am I using this to sort of propel my life forward and 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 to try to again, apply these myths, these legends, these movies, these stories? to my life in a way that I can get through and transition on to another part of my life. So, um, I think. The answer is that it probably depends on the individuals and just, you know, it's just like, a you know, we say a lot of times, a certain point of view, Uh, there's a part of fandom, you know, there's always the stereotypical, you know, living in your mother's basement type thing. Um, (laughs) you know, you know, and I've I've been to those homes. I, I go in people's houses for my job and I've seen that in the homes. Um, you know, you know, there go there by the grace of God, I might go, you know, if it hadn't been for, you know, maybe being married or whatever, who knows where I would be myself and those things. So I'm not casting stones, but it I think it just sort of depends. But I think the ones that want to stay young, I think that's kind of it gets us to that bad part of fandom that we talk about, those people mm-hmm. that are trolling on the uh, on the Internet and stuff. And so, you know, you could take those things and just want to be the keeper of it and, 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 and be very picky about things and criticize everybody who doesn't see it your way. And I think in those cases, we do have that problem. And I think we have that problem. You know, those people are probably a vocal minority, but it's more people than it probably should be, I guess. You know, Mm -hmm. we all should be striving toward uh, going through these transitions in life and becoming more uh, adult or more responsible. And so, yes, it's a problem in America. I don't think it's a majority of people, but it's probably bigger than it needs to be. And there are others that can look at Star Wars. And, uh, you know, you think about our friend Megan, who, you know, she uses it to kind of, go into people's stories that, you know, in her ordeal with cancer and things like that. And, mm. and with you know, Rebecca and Jason and they were, you know, they can go into the things that Star Wars sort of gave them, taught them how to hope or just sort of, you know, let them see in, um, in a different way, not so uh, frightful as far as actually facing cancer, but seeing the symbolism of it and saying, you know what, I'm going to try to hope I'm going to fight through this. I'm going to do what I can to get to the other side of it. And mm. so it can be both.
1: Yeah, I think that that's certainly part of it, right? And, you know, I don't want to go too far down this little rabbit trail, but mm-hmm. it's um, it's fascinating when we look at things like Star Wars through the lens of adulthood. And I think that it is interesting that, yes, certainly for those of us that grew up loving this galaxy and its characters, we see different things when we watch it today while still, of course, appreciating some of the things that, um, you know, when that nostalgia button gets pressed that we just, it, it's, it's the great comfort food. It's celluloid comfort mm-hmm. food. And, mm-hmm. and at the same time, you know, as you were talking, it, it hit me, Carl, that I'd be curious and I don't think there's any way to ever quantify this, but I'd be curious right. to know, okay, if was, was the last Jedi for some people, was it too adult of a film? Hmm. I don't know if, if the writing was so filled with um, more adult-ish, you know, using air quotes here in the studio, adult-ish mm-hmm. themes that right. perhaps some people weren't ready to take that journey. And, you know, we can argue, not argue some other time, whether it was good movie, bad movie, well-written, not well-written. But I, I, I'm curious from the perspective that we're looking at it through the the lens of Campbellian mythology, if indeed there was some of that that played into some of the the backlash with, with that.
0: I would, I would say that part of it, and we we touched on earlier that I think we fall in love and nostalgia probably plays a part of it, but we fall in love in the one that we see as we are younger and we are starting these transitions. Um, And then there's a section in the whole book about uh, in the hero's journey or the hero with a thousand faces about how the first half of life you are searching for uh, the thing that gets you through life and love is kind of that, that goal. It's something you're living for the things you are doing, and that's going to be the prize. And then you kind of enter a second half of life and you're kind of over everything. You're, you're, I guess, burnt out on stuff and you, you're sort of looking toward, okay, I'm going to die one day. And that's kind of the goal or not necessarily the goal, but where you're, where you're looking towards um, in life. And so I think, as a young person we are more open to to see these symbols and enjoy them and embrace them and apply them to our lives and then after a certain point when we've gone through most of our big initiations in life and the only thing that w- the only big one that might be left on the horizon is death we are not as open to those and so we don't cling to them we don't hope in them and we don't we're not looking for the same thing in life as we were when we were younger and so because of that Those movies are probably, I mean, across the board, those movies are all probably equal, uh, basically in quality and what they're trying to do and the story they're telling. And yet, are we receiving it in a certain way because of where we are in our life as far as looking forward to initiations or kind of past them and sort of burnout?
1: Well said. And Gina, I want you to kind of jump back in here. You know, as we're looking at this, you know, we're talking about this theme of not just clinging to youth, but also going through this, this I, I, I guess in some ways we could say it's the, the Jedi trials, but these, these pivotal points in life where there is this um, rite of passage. I, I think back there's this great video that I used to show um, senior boys. I taught a class of all senior boys for a number of years, and it was just basically life skills. And I always ask the questions, okay, so how, how do you know when you are, quote unquote, how do you know when you're a man? And, you know, there was various answers thrown out there. Um, you're married, or you've got kids, or you've got a job, or whatever else. And then we started looking at some Aboriginal and Indigenous tribes throughout the world that are that are still in existence today and some of the rites of passage. And one of the favorite things that I used to do is would show them this video. I want to say it's from National Geographic. And um, the the boys in this tribe and I want to say it's in South America, but these boys in this tribe in South America, in order to, to have the label of man uh, thrust upon them, they would first have to endure this rite of passage, which involved um, they would have to place their hands into these woven mittens and keep them in there for, I believe 20 minutes. And inside there were hundreds and hundreds of stinging ants. Mm. And every time one ant, um, stung the person's hands it would release a pheromone to signal to all the other ants to start stinging and so the only thing they could do is keep they had to keep these these woven uh, glove like things on their hands for 20 minutes and dance around and i want to say that they had to do that multiple times in order to finally Mm. receive the label of man um and as a sidebar inevitably i would all ask the uh the, the upper middle-class kids that were in my classroom, hey, how many of you think you could do that? And, and Inevitably, <laughs> they were all tough guys and thought they could do it. And then yeah. I showed them a video of a couple of white guys that went down there and tried to do it, and he put his hand in there for about three seconds and had to go <laughs> to the emergency room because it was so painful. Anyway, oh. um, Gina, uh, let me bring it back to you. When we're looking at this, this rite of passage and and going from minority to uh majority, when we're coming of age, when we're entering adulthood. Um, do you think from your perspective, and when, when, when you see things unfold on screen with star Wars, that that not only gives you like coping strategies, but it also kind of gives you like, Oh, I, I see right there that here is this person transitioning on that person's own journey, whether it's Luke or Ray or whomever else. Is that easy for you to identify
3: it's easier for me to identify it in star wars characters or entertainment characters than it is mm-hmm. in my own life if i look at ray and i see oh she did x y and z she can take care of herself she's all of these mm-hmm. things i think oh she's an adult uh one of the reasons i find this conversation so fascinating and also you saying gina the adult is because i often <laughs> don't believe myself as an adult actually i very much still see myself as a kid even though i have like an apartment and a job and pay rent and things. Um, And I'm actually not quite sure when I'm going to see myself as an adult. Um, So using Ray or Luke or or Anakin as a benchmark kind of helps in a way to think, okay, not that I'm in space doing all these things, but they got to their point in their life when they were doing, you know, X, Y, and Z. And that's what I think makes them an adult. So when I Mm. get to a point in my life when I'm doing X, Y, and Z, I guess that's what, and and it only to me makes me an adult in theory. Um, The other thing I think is so fascinating. So I'm at like the very tail end of millennials. I'm like just barely making it. And one of the things that I think is so fascinating is that another name for millennials is the Peter Pan generation. Because a lot of people don't think we want to grow up. Um, Mm. And there's a whole bunch of politics to that because it's like, people aren't buying houses for mortgages. And it's like, well, can we afford that? And that's a whole other thing. Um, yeah, But that's something very much that me and my friends thought of. But at the same time, I think of, of characters like Ray, who's like, okay, well, she's been doing, air quote, adult things since she was a kid. So when was her childhood? Mm. And so that's one thing I think is so interesting about this idea of rite of passage and things. Because I would say Ray never really had a childhood. I would say... And probably never really had a proper childhood, however you want to define that. Luke, maybe probably. Um, and so and and that's probably also a cultural thing for different people. How you define a childhood, how you define an adulthood, and did you get one? But yeah, yeah, I, I didn't have any rite of passage things for me, didn't have I guess what you call sweet sixteen, didn't go to prom or anything. And so I mean, you could say moving out of my house is like a rite of passage or something like that. Cause I'm fortunate mm. enough to be able to do that, but I don't see myself as an adult. I'm very much a kid.
1: <laughs> cling to that Gina cling to it. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, it's, it's interesting too, because we, we look at a galaxy, right? Where we've got Jedi that are um, taking kids from their families at a very young age. We've got, certainly you know with the first order we've got the first order going around and and harvesting kids and turning them into stormtroopers and and, and uh, presumably other jobs within the first order and you know it it's interesting when you talk about the the unfulfilled childhoods or not having a, a proper childhood and we we start looking at a more macro view of the Star Wars galaxy and boy talk about bringing some things into question yeah when you, when you look at Finn and his peers that were plucked out of obscurity obscurity and, and thrown into stormtrooper armor. Or we look at however many younglings were around the Jedi temple during the the prequels and uh, their backstory. You know, it's fascinating that some of them probably had more of a right, a, a predictable, clear linear path of a rite of passage than, than others did. Um, I am curious Barb let me come back your way when when we see these things on the screen and in particular when when we when we see these rites of passage take place for for you either character wise or just uh, th- those moments within Star Wars which ones resonate with you the most personally
2: Personally <laughs> Oh that's interesting because I feel like there's each character that we're talking about, you know, the, the ones that we can apply to this hero's journey and the adventure that they're on, they have more than one rite of passage. Mm. You know, uh, some of them are choices that they make, while as others we talked about earlier, they're kind of thrust into it. And I think for sure, Luke's hugest defining moment is the death of Uncle Owen and Aunt Brew. Mm. Uh, that moment always hits me hard because, because of the panic that he experiences knowing that he's possibly going to lose them and just seeing what the stormtroopers did to them, I think cha- changed his whole outlook on everything. I know that Carl said that was what made it so that he decided there was nothing for him here. But when I think about that, i mean i've not I've not experienced trauma to that degree, not even close but i I tend to empathize with characters that go through that because when I watch that, I think how traumatic that must be and and yet Luke has to immediately move on immediately, mm-hmm. you know, and he's he he's still funny and he's still a kid, so there's you know, there's lots of things he goes through, like what's that flashing? You know, and mm-hmm. you know, hand, hand br- brushes him away. So he's he's still got these kid moments, and I think there's several things in A New Hope as well as Empire Strike ba- Strikes Back that are his rites of passage throughout that, and it's hard to identify personally with some of those. I think, mm-hmm. I think one of the more interesting moments was. You know, Luke, Luke discovering who his real dad was, you Mm. know, who, and, you know, he, in my eyes, he had parents and he had a childhood, but he knew that his dad was killed and to find out that that's not true and what is true is actually a lot worse. Mm. (laughs) I, I, I mean, there's obviously such a huge transformation between empire strikes back and return of the Jedi. And that again, I I know I'm focusing on Luke here, but it's, it's the hero that I focused on the most, you know, I had the longest time with, Mm. but when you see him walk into Jabba's palace in return of the Jedi and remembering what he went through in the end of empire strikes back, like what a transformation that is he's mm. He's gotten control of his powers. he seems like he has transferred from being a child into an adult, and in his world that means becoming a jedi knight mm. um and he even says that to Yoda then I am a jedi and you know how how do you apply that personally i I don't know exactly but but it is this like trying to find one moment in your life that makes you have arrived, you know, in adulthood, whatever that is. I think it can never be i identified as just one moment, but some people do have that one moment of turning point and I didn't. I didn't leave home till I was 24 because you know, it I went to college and then I went to university and so I I did um eight years post-secondary education, all living at home with my mom. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it wasn't until I decided to branch out and not only leave home, but leave the comfort of the, the city that was my home and mm-hmm. go out west, where I really felt like I was going on a new adventure and a new journey. And what was really exciting about it was I didn't know the future. Mm-hmm. I didn't know what I was going to do. And I just I had so much opportunity and potential to do kind of whatever I wanted, and there was that freedom that I think, you know, Luke had in pursuing his dream and adventure. Except that his was more thrust upon him, whereas mine was by choice.
1: Mm. I, I think so many folks, myself included, but certainly folks that are listening to this, would would identify with that. And I think that. You know, the, the hero's journey, I think we can often fall into a false mindset that it is always 100% of the time, the same linear journey for everyone. And I I don't think that's the case because Mm -hmm. some of us start our journeys earlier, but we have phases of the journey or that, 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 may take longer for whatever reason and some of us circle back around um, because we don't get it the first time. And, and I think that that's one of the things that we, we start to see that in some of our, our characters within star Wars. And that's one of the things that I love when they become such completely fallible human beings. <laughs> I, I think that that uh, uh, among uh, some of the other things out there, that that's one of the things that I love about this is that we, we see mistakes being made. You know, we we've talked earlier in this episode about Luke going into the cave on Dagobah and, and strapping on his weapons. And we could probably come up with a list of, of plenty more situations that our, our heroes were in and, uh, and even folks that were on, on the dark side were in and, and their journeys were delayed or they cycled back around, not going to the next phase because of insert the reason here. As we and talking- I, Go ahead. Go ahead, Barb.
2: Well, I was just going to say, and I think, you know, it doesn't always matter the age that you are, you, you can always circle back into that journey. And I, I remember in my late twenties, early thirties, I I had dealt with tragedy early on in my life, but I, I didn't deal with that until I was in my late teens. Mm. And when I dealt with it in my late teens, I was like, great. I have dealt with it. Goodbye. And then, and then shockingly, you know, I become a mom in my early thirties and it, this stuff rears its ugly head again and I have to go through it again. And I think that that's, that's definitely examples of what we see in the heroes, especially in the sequel trilogy with Luke, you know, you, he's, he's an old man and I don't think he's got all his shit together when he's an old man, you know, he's got a lot of flaws and a lot of mistakes that he made even after the original trilogy.
1: Right. For sure. For sure. And I think some of us really embrace that and identify with that too, As we go like, Oh yeah. Um, as we get older, it doesn't necessarily mean we become wiser. And even if it does, it doesn't mean that we have all the answers and did everything right to, to get there. I I'm curious as we begin to kind of land the shuttle today and Barb, let me just stick with you right now and we'll kind of go around here. But this element of of, of having that that initial call when it comes to that early, potentially, loss. In in the case of many of our heroes, loss of the mother figure. And then from that, going into uh, this first rites of, of passage. Barb, for you, why do you think that those things, at least on screen, and at least within the Star Wars galaxy, uh, sometimes can be so very alluring for the viewer or fan?
2: Uh, I think you know it, it 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 sometimes depends on the fan, but you know when you ha when you're you have a film, you have a very short amount of time to explain a call to journey, and sometimes the best way to do that is obvious tragedy, and what a lot of these characters have gone through, whether a person watching it has gone through that personally or not. We are all human and we all recognize tragedy when we see it. Mm. And so I think when these characters are going through those moments, uh, the fan people watching the viewer, they're either sympathizing or empathizing. They're Mm. sympathizing because they know that all too well. And it really hits their heart because they've experienced that. Or they empathize because they could imagine themselves having gone through tragedy like that, but not, and Mm. it would be terrible. And I think, you know, some of us do experience movies in different ways than others. Um, Some of us really experience them on emotional levels like that. And it really hits us in the heart. And the writers of Star Wars have known what can do that. You know, Mm. what can really get the viewer to identify with that character whether through experience or through imagining that experience.
1: Mm. Well said. Carl let me let me ask you the same thing there from this that we've talked about today whether it's it's the leaving the tragedy of the loss or even the rite of passage what about any one of those or all of those in your opinion makes those so alluring to the viewer?
0: Well I would you know if you go by what Campbell writes, and I, I'm kind of persuaded by some of the things he says, you know we we come into this to this world and we're looking for a way to fit in and to to go through the problems that we have. Mm-hmm. And so the myths, and the stories that were always told were always, yes, they're very entertaining, but they're under, you know, they're on again a fantastical uh, scale, but they give you the, the kind of the roadmap of how I should do things, you know, um, being, you know, a lot of the times, you know, he talks about how the, uh, the hero is somebody who is, you know, becomes submissive through his own, you know, uh, will, he doesn't necessarily get beat into submission by someone else and just give up, but he realizes that the best way to, um, fit in or helps society or have a purpose in his life is to end up doing things for others and and putting his own needs or her own needs second um, mm. which is you know counterintuitive to how we initially think about things as we come into this world we're out for ourselves and what can we do to, to get the most stuff and and a lot of us never outgrow it so I think uh, he even talks about how the psychoanalyst when we when the myths are not there and people haven't You know, whether it be the witch doctor of the past or somebody, you know, when we're not led through these things, our minds use basically the same imagery to show us the right way to go. What we deep down know would end up being the better way to be as opposed to what consciously we think would help us uh, and help us to be to do well in our society. So I think there's just a need there as human beings to navigate uh, how to transition from being a child to an adult or to being a husband or a father, or, you know, in, in, you know, especially like modern times working and jobs and things like that. And so these stories don't talk about that specifically, but they put people in, in more heightened situations. And we see how they react and we think, well, if they can do that there, then I can do similar things in my life and get through these transitions, uh, all the way up to the point of, you know, seeing Luke in the last Jedi being a failure. So you know, that that second part of life I talked about, Luke, Luke had gone there to die and and not really looking forward to any new initiations. He was just done with initiations and and was just sitting there the rest of his life, not going to try anything new. But even in that, Yoda teaches us that through failure, we can sometimes learn the most. So there's still things we can learn. You know, I failed in starting businesses and things. And so it's like uh, it gets you down, depressed, and I'm just going to give up and 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 just not worry about it anymore. But if Luke can do that in this grand scheme on a movie, like I can learn from the mistakes that I made and do a better job as far as the next time I work. So it just helps us get through the mundane life um, and answer some questions. And it puts things in perspective that, you know, our our life is personal and it hurts, but it's not really ending the world or anything when we have some of these trials we have to
1: go through. Right. Well said. Gina, as we get ready to land stuff, let me ask you this. Where do you think... Either we see this come up in future Star Wars installments or where would you like to see this or how would you like to see it come up in future Star Wars installments? The You mean
3: the hero's journey, like in future installments? Yeah, I
1: mean, as far as this initial phase, either the call, the loss, or even a rite of passage, what that may or may not look like, depending on where we're at on the timeline and what part of the galaxy we're in.
3: Yeah, well, I I definitely think we'll see it because I think it's something that's just so much a part of the very fabric of what Star Wars is, um, especially after this conversation that we've had. I I fully understand why there's so much tragedy. I don't think it would be Star Wars without this amount of tragedy, but I would like to see a creative way of less moms dying. Um, we can move <laughs> home without that. <laughs> um but yeah, it, I think we'll definitely see it. I would love a, a more, not creative, because I think that downplays the amount of thought and work that went into the other ones. But, you know, some other way of saying that, yes, we've had to leave home. Um, I The one thing on my mind currently, if you want like a concrete thing, is I'm wondering where we're going to see it in the next step of The Mandalorian. Um mm and this idea of settling somewhere and having to leave, leave and, and that type of thing. But no, I definitely think we'll see it. Are we
1: going
2: to have to see baby Yoda leave and clean? Oh my gosh. <laughs> I'm going to cry. I'm going to cry. <laughs> he would never do that.
1: <laughs> oh my goodness.
2: Hey, I think, see, that's going to be interesting though, because we,
1: if this, the Mandalorian and Cassian Andor series, Obi-Wan series, I I, I realize that we're going to be inserted at various points on the hero's journey roadmap with all of these characters. And not everyone's going to be at the same place at the same time. But since we are having a very young little fella uh, with baby Yoda, it will be interesting to see if this is part of season two of the Mandalorian and what that, may look like and who knows perhaps since he's off on his own perhaps that tragedy has already happened um and maybe (laughs) we'll we'll get a better understanding in flashback or something but um it it will be interesting as you know we go forward and i think is it fair to say that the mandalorian season two is going to probably be the next new star wars stuff that we get which seems like mm. it's a really long way away at this point but but it'll be interesting <laughs> yeah. like as as that season 2 um becomes available where on that hero's journey we're we're going to be dropped for for season 2 with our various characters i'm looking forward to that yeah well listen thanks everyone great job today I, again this is Such deep, murky stuff um, to get into. And this is also why there are entire college courses dedicated to Joseph (laughs) Campbell and and mythology, because there's just so much good stuff there. So we will continue on with uh, Joseph Campbell and our exploration of his writings, The Hero with a Thousand Faces all throughout the rest of the spring into the summer. And as as far as we need to take it, we always appreciate you hanging out with us by all means. If you're choosing to read the book and kind of go hand in hand along with our episodes, let us know some of your thoughts on this. We would love to know what you're thinking, how this you've also seen it unfold or play out in your own life. We would love to hear some personal stories as well. You can always find us on that wretched hive of scum and villainy known as the Twitter at unmistakably sw of course you can also hit us up at unmistakably star wars at gmail.com with that the circle is now complete my little tauntauns we'll see you next time in the digital docking bay and until then may the force be with you
3: Unmistakably, Star Wars is a member of the Star Wars Escape Pods Network. Explore more great content and get to know our sister shows at weareescapepods.com and on Twitter at weareescapepods. The Star Wars Escape Pods Network, promoting positivity in fandom. This podcast is a production of Be Heard Studios. To learn more about Be Heard Studios and its shows, as well as opportunities for those looking to begin a podcast, visit us online at BeHerdStudios.com. Beheard Studios, creators of diverse listening experiences.